Welcome to the Business Done Differently podcast, where we believe whatever is normal, do the exact opposite, and that standing out is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Jesse Cole, and it's showtime. Today's guest is a customer experience and marketing guru. He's the author of the best-selling book, Be Like Amazon, Even a Lemonade Stand Can Do It. He's also self-proclaimed baseball-obsessed and has a great Twitter game. Brian Eisberg, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm going to start with Baseball Obsessed. I'm fascinated by this because baseball fans are kind of fading these days. There's less and less and less. You're obsessed. And I want to actually start big here. Baseball's had some challenges, declines in attendance. If you were baseball and you had to think like Amazon, what would you do to try to get more people excited? Well, it's funny. I keep saying there were rumors twirling that Jeff Bezos was looking to buy a sports team. Oh, wow. That was only like about a month ago. So I don't know where it's going to go. But yeah. every time I give a keynote, what would you do if Jeff Bezos decides to get into your industry, into your business? And I've done this in finance and all kinds of business that already he's come into later on. And people are like, no, nah, he'll never do it. Just wait. <laughs> Here's the thing. I think he'd do a very similar approach to what you've done, actually, to be honest with you. But at a larger scale, and I think this is part of what MLB really gets wrong. If you look at Amazon Prime, which is the largest membership organization, paid membership organization in the world today, right? Over 100 million people. It's it's the cornerstone of their thing. He's always trying to stick with what's never going to change and what's really important. And so what has he done? Like my kids are addicted to Amazon Prime, right? And that's really important because it's not about the short-term success of creating the revenue today. It's about that long-term revenue. So each of the kids can have their own Prime accounts. They're able to set up their profiles. They do things for college students. My oldest daughter is away in college. But I'll never forget, and what turned her on so much, when Amazon Prime first launched here in Austin, she was 16 years old. She had just gotten her first cell phone, and we got it from the cell provider. And of course, she wasn't going to buy a case from them. So she said... I'm going to go and I'm going to look at one of those crazy torrential rains here in Austin. Like, we have 300 days of sunshine. When it's pouring rain, it's pouring rain. We were not going to go out looking for cases. So I said, why don't you try Amazon Prime? So she went ahead. She looked for a few things, found the case she loved. Within an hour, it was delivered to our door. She took a picture of it on her phone, posted it on Facebook at the time, and said, this is my new best friend. You can't buy that level of love that level of bonding that created there. And so it's the same thing in baseball. You know what? There's lots of empty space, a lot of empty seats throughout stadiums today. And there are games, of course, that are much more competitive and and obviously the seats sell more. But yeah, why not create a, hey, buy your ticket, bring your kids free day. Because it's not the money of the ticket, but having them exposed to the game. I mean, look, I have a son who loves baseball. We'll sit, we'll watch games together. But at the end of the day, it's not like he's always choosing at any time to watch any game, right? It's, it's games that he particularly likes. But if we go to a live event, he's into it every single moment. Mm. There's a different part of that experience. And baseball's just not capitalizing on it. And now, with the talk about with cutting out 42 minor league teams, it's just insane. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I think of like Amazon in the sense, they were a book company at first. They were selling books. Baseball has traditional baseball fans. But Amazon said, nope, we have a different demographic. And so for us, we realized baseball wasn't who we were going to go after. We were going to go after everyone else that wants fun, that wants show, that's willing to watch the players do choreographed dances and break dancing first base coaches. And we'll still have the core people that come watch the game, the core people that buy books. But it's other than that. And I wonder if baseball was Amazon or Jeff Bezos, would they start thinking who are their customers of the future, not just who their current baseball fans are? 
that's part of the big problem. The current baseball fan, look, we hear it when we listen to the broadcast. And I'm not going to name names of some of the bad broadcasters out there, okay? Because they're brilliant baseball men, but they're beating up on the current game, right? Of talking about a launch angle swing. Well, every swing has a launch angle. It's just, it's just a measurement, right? It's just like saying, hey, you know, you have a temperature. Uh, duh, right? 100%. Doesn't mean you have a fever, right? Yes. Like we've got to start sparking that passion. We got to start sparking the stories of the players of who they were when they were young to start appealing to the kids and their stories. It's like, oh yeah, you know, I didn't play until I was in ninth grade. Start telling their stories every game. It's completely different. I mean, think connection. While Amazon, which is different, they don't have human connection, but they connect with you because they know you. They know what you want. They know what you're thinking. I always say Amazon knows me better than my wife. They literally like, you want this book? You're right. I probably do. But with baseball, the players are kind of separated. We try to make a big goal of our players out in front greeting the fans when they come in. They deliver roses to little girls in the crowd during the game. They're interacting. And I think that's so important on how you're having those touch points. That will never change. People want touch points. So I'm fascinated with that question. And I just want to see your insight because it really leads into the four pillars of Amazon, which you've talked about. It's customer centricity, continuous optimization, culture of innovation, and corporate agility. And that's what baseball should be looking at. Completely. And we're seeing it on some of the development side. Yes. Right. We're definitely seeing it there. Where we struggle is in the traditional game. And I think the commissioner thinks by innovating with strike zones and innovating with the time clock of pitchers that he's making the game better. That's not what's doing it. Yes. Not at okay? all. The problem is it's, it's a disorganized industry in many ways. Most of the owners, unfortunately, are so disconnected from their fans, especially major league clubs, that it's a shame that when you go into the minor league system or independent ball, you see owners who are part of their communities. Even big communities. Like We grew up in, in Brooklyn, New York. I was 10 minutes from Brooklyn Cyclones. Yes. And my son had great memories of meeting the coaches and meeting the players and even meeting the owner that you don't get in most other organizations. And maybe that's part of what's fueled his passion because it's, it's about connecting with people. It's not just the sport. A hundred percent. So I want to go connecting with people. Customer centricity. It's so simple, so obvious, but so many companies are challenged with this on how do they make the customers the center of their universe. And I'd love to share stories with Amazon, maybe some others that really emphasize this point that we can take away. The problem that most companies have with trying to understand who their customer is, is they actually don't take the time to understand them. And let's take from an abstract point of view. The reason Amazon got so good compared to every other retailer is because they spent most of their focus, and it sounds evil, but it's not, collecting data about their customers. Who are their customers? What do they do? What do they want to do? What do they wish for? What do they share with friends? That information is incredibly valuable. I remember sitting in a workshop we were doing, and I was talking to a guy who does pest control. And I said to him, what do you do? And they have a guarantee that once they spray, nothing shows up for a year because they do a completely different job than everyone else. And they're almost like the Amazon pest control down in Florida. <laughs> they'll go into the crawl spaces and they'll block holes and they'll do all the things to keep all the barriers there. But I said, what happens if you go into so-and-so's house and a few weeks later, they spot some insect and they call you well you know we just send somebody back out to check on them and to see how it went i said that's great you know who knows more about people and what they like than anyone else is the person who's in every single crawl space inside these customers homes they know whether they're lot wine lovers they know whether they're sports lovers they know whether they know every detail about them because they're inside your closets they know what you're passionate about where are you capturing the data 
about what they know about their customers. And I don't want it to sound like spying because I think <laughs> it's the same way that we would develop relationships with the neighborhood store. They just see you every single day. They get to know you. And so I told him, I said, look, if you went to this person's house and we picked a particular person in the workshop and you want to try to get him on the phone to apologize, you never speak to him again. Mm. That's not his style. But if you went to his house, you know he loves wine. So when that bug guy comes, have him bring a nice bottle of wine. Give him a little bit of a, of a budget just to fix it. And it's about operationalizing that so that they know their customers. It's not a, oh, let me give you a plain gift certificate. Or something. That's not going to wow them. That's not going to make them excited about what they're doing. And so it starts with the data. It starts with understanding, as you said, with your team, right? There is a core group who loves the game of baseball, and you can deliver that. But people are looking for a great experience in your town. So you gave them one. It, and it's, that's it's, what's so critical. Yeah, it's a focus on fun. But we know we can test things and say, are people laughing? How are they acting? And when we go up in the crowd and do this, what's the reactions? We're gauging that and saying, all right, move on to the next one. Because we're looking on how do they feel? How do they respond? I have a cafe I go to every single, like whenever I'm in Tybee in Savannah, I go Sunshine Cafe. I've ordered the same thing for the last three I, years. I've heard of that, by the way. Have you? I have friends who live in Tybee. So I, yeah, I, uh, yeah. So I go there. I get the same thing as Western Omelette. So when I come in, they already start making it. They know I'm there. I'm bringing my son. So they always have his water ready for him. And just by paying attention, and I think it's listening carefully, responding creatively, paying attention matters most. So I will always go there because they make me feel comfortable. Let's take a step back. Paying attention and optimization, all these things, are just an illustration about caring about your customers. (laughs) And it has to start fundamentally from your core beliefs. And if it doesn't start from your beliefs, it's what Simon Sinek talked about, right? starting with why. But when you actually listen to that famous speech he did, it's not just the why's, it's how many times you use the word belief, 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 belief. So if you take a look at something like Amazon, Jeff Bezos' initial quote, right? was the single most important thing is to focus obsessively on the customer. And here's the important part. This tells you his belief. Our goal is to be Earth's most customer-centric company. That tells you a ton about what his beliefs were. If you look at Walmart, we talk about in the book, Sam Walton had a core set of beliefs about retail, and it drove Walmart's growth for years. Now you look at where Walmart is, and you look at those beliefs, and you could see they've gotten disconnected. What was Sam Walton's? So he had 10 core tenets. I'm just going to share with you a couple of them. The more controversial ones. How about we stick with those, right? Sure, sure. Let's be different. Share your profits with your associates and treat them like your partners. Don't quite think they're doing that anymore. <laughs> Blaze your own path. No, they're pretty much trying to copy Amazon today. They, now, they're still good at controlling their expenses better than competition. They're excellent at that. Mm-hmm. Here's one. Sam Walton believed you need to exceed your customer's expectations. So let me ask you a question. When was the last time you walked into a Walmart and they exceeded your customer expectations? Yeah, doesn't happen much. Right. Oh, here's another one. Appreciate everything your associates do for the business. No, let's just cut out jobs so that they can't benefit from it. No, it's a problem. And it's gotten completely disconnected. So Jeff Bezos has a belief statement, what he stands for. And then obviously Sam Walton had it when they were growing. And now companies, you mentioned a few in the book. So you advise everyone set up your belief statements. Can it be, is it one sentence, five, 10? There's, give us some examples. Some have like 30. Yeah, it totally depends. I mean, my friend Ryan Dice from Digital Marketer, he's got a whole great video. I encourage people to go and listen to what he talks about. But one of my favorite examples that we talk about in the book is Ken Goodrich from Ghetto Heating and Air Conditioning. Because it's such a perfect example of what, how any business could be so remarkable and innovate with something that costs nothing. 
So Ken Goodrich, as he was growing up, his dad was also in the HVAC business, worked on Gettle Air Conditioners. Eventually, he bought the company. Ken learned two things from his dad. Number one, if you've got an HVAC unit, you've got to make sure that every single screw in that unit is completely tightened because any little vibration will in the shroud will eventually cause damage to the electronics. His second thing is as he was growing up, his dad had him hold the flashlight for him as he worked. And so he goes ahead and he gives away flashlights. But I want to focus in on this idea that he believed that every screw needs to be tightened. Now, that's great. But as a typical customer, and this is how he bridged that gap to customer centricity, is how do you go about making sure a customer knows that you value those things? And I think this is where he really set up a big differentiator when he went ahead and he started doing red screws. If you look at a typical HVAC unit, they are using silver screws or chrome colored screws. And what he says, if we went ahead and we started doing bright red screws, everybody in the organization would know, including the customer, which screws were changed and which weren't changed. Hmm. So because if someone came to your house right now and changed screws in your air conditioner, would you know it? Yeah, no way. There's no way. Now, if all the screws were all of a sudden bright red, could you tell? They'd stand out. They'd stand out. And that's the whole point. And so that screw has become a symbol, essentially, of everything they do. It allows them to be customer-centric. lets the customer know, I took care of every detail of that HVAC. Basically, it's their big innovation, right? How much does a red screw cost compared to other screws? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. Yes. Right? It allows them to have continuous optimization because the technicians know only to look for bright red screws. If any of the screws are there... They know they have to work on that part of the air conditioner. And so this all started with a belief statement. It all started with a belief statement. So would you advise, and again, everyone, has, a lot of people have mission, they have vision, they have core beliefs, but setting up their belief statements, and I'm guessing, does this just start with the founder? It has to start with the founder, correct. And so what's a good exercise to do that for? I mean, we have our beliefs, we have things that we're adamant about, but we haven't really made them concrete to everyone. What's a good way to start with that? So a fun way, and I'll invite everybody to kind of they can pop onto Instagram. One of the things we did is a, a good friend of mine here in town I've been mentoring is a chiropractor by the name of Dr. Matt Delgado. He started a chiropractic about two years ago here in Austin. He moved from the Seattle area, moved here with less than $2,000. He was renting space from a current chiropractor. Now he's got a beautiful office that he set up. And there's pictures of it on Instagram. You can go look up Dr. Matt Delgado for Life Screen Chiropractic. And so one of the things he's done is we just started him listing what were his core belief statements and just, just creating a list of them. We knew one of them that was key because every review that he ever had beforehand mentioned how great a listener he was. Mm. And so we knew that he felt like people deserve to be listened to when they go to a doctor. So it started there. And, and so we knew customers noticed that one, but what were the other ones? So he took them, got them all written down, we fine-tuned them, we tweaked them up, Condensed them, did a little copywriting on them, brought the work on them as well. And now, if you walk right into his office, you see it on, right in the front office, right as you walk in by the reception, the we believe. And he also designed it in such a way where the words pop out in a 3D, certain words. Mm. What's cool about it is you actually see patients taking pictures of it and sharing it on social media. I love it. Especially if they're unique and different. I mean, if you just say we believe in integrity, we believe in trust, we believe in that, they have to stand out. They have to be different. For us, we've been guided solely by fans first. Everything we think about is fans first, fans yeah. first. But I think you need to go detailed, a little more detailed. So I think this is a great exercise. I love that. 
We're going to do some games in a little bit, Brian, so just get mentally prepared. But before I, so, I like games. All right, well, good. These, some of these may be challenging for you, so we're going to see. But the first one, before we get into a game, culture of innovation. I want to go into that because obviously that's speaking my language is we're trying to make baseball fun and reinvent the game and be different. I don't think you, I don't know if you mentioned this in your book, but about Jeff Bezos' future article that he makes. If he wants to launch something, he, they have to write like a future piece, for like almost a press release. They write a press release, exactly. Yeah, it's fascinating. So I'd love to share like how it's like, oh, innovate, innovate, innovate. How does someone do that? For the companies you've worked with, I guess would be the best example. Okay, so the key here is truly understanding two key parts, okay? And, and I've noticed you've done a great job, especially at one of them. The second one is the one that people don't necessarily pay as much attention to, okay? All right. There are only two things that influence what we call persuasive momentum, mm-hmm. right? What move people either closer or further away from you? Mm-hmm. It's either friction. Mm-hmm. So one of the points of friction in your business. So find if there's friction, find a way to innovate around it. Yes. Okay? So if people are complaining about the cost of food, can you find a way to make food affordable? Right? And you, I know you have those all-you-can-eat plans. Yes. Right? Just a simple way. But the second one is what motivates them. And this is the part that's a lot harder. And so what we do is we start with creating the personas of our customers. Who are the people who are coming into our business? And really doing a deep dive and understanding who they are. And there's, there's a whole techniques that we use behind creating a persona so that they're much more credible. It would almost be like, what would you do if you saw Tony Soprano walk into your gates? Run. <laughs> right? You know exactly who he is, how you behave around him. Okay, what if you had George and Jerry from Seinfeld walk in? <laughs> you would know you want to be fun. You want to join in on the fun with them. You might even ask George if you want to come down and take a few hacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Right, right. Because you know a little bit about his story and, you know, that fun video of him teaching. So there's some great things that you can do around that. So what we do is create the narrative around that persona. And then we need to start creating a narrative and an ideal narrative of what that experience would look like. And we start from the end. And this is the most important part. Just like Jeff Bezos starts with the press release, we need to start... What's going to leave every single one of your customers giving you a five-star review and telling their friends they have to join them next week? Mm-hmm. So what is that from Amazon standpoint? Obviously, the future press release, if they're launching a new product, but what else? What you end up doing is finding all of the different points where things, the Murphy's Law, if something can go wrong, what will go wrong? Mm. And once you start identifying those, you start mapping them going from the end point forward what are alternatives to make sure that that failure point doesn't exist, mm. right? Or where is there a point where we could add surprise and delight, right, to create more word of mouth? Mm. Those are the two balance points. And in Amazon, you know, I just think about Amazon. I think about speed. I think about how quick they are to do things. I think about their selection. You know, what Jeff Bezos says, the things that won't change in the next 10 years, which is fascinating. But innovation, I'm trying to, th- I mean, obviously, they've been doing tons of innovation. But what are the ones that we're feeling? Oh, I mean, I think the biggest one right now is everything to do with with Alexa. Yes. Right. What they've done with voice to the point where Microsoft basically just canceled their Cortana app. Wow. So that's one of the first signals that Amazon is so far ahead on their data set. Voice and what they're doing there. Voice. Look, the truth of the matter is keyboards and mice and all that. They're awkward devices to actually interact with unless you're in in a busy setting. Mm. But otherwise... Voice is a much more natural interface. And so their end in mind for Amazon is? There will be voice in your car. 
Yes. There'll be voice in your refrigerator, in your oven, in your cooktop. And you'll be to say, hey, can you preheat the oven to 350 degrees? And it's just done for you. So how can they take care of their customers in a faster, more convenient, easier way? And then that's what led to Alexa, led to voice. Exactly. Yeah. So again, start with the end in mind. I think that's so key. Where do you want to go? And it makes it easier to reverse engineer from there. Exactly. I love it. All right. All right we're going to do our first game. You ready to rock and roll? I'm ready. All By right. the way, the same thing holds true in developing elite baseball players or yes. athletes. Yes. Right. Like, so one of the examples, my friend Bobby Tewksbury, he's found in any hitter who's hit above a hundred mile exit velo, okay, off the bat, has had a squeeze at least 125 pounds on the dynamometer. Okay. So what? So my son's a big, strong kid, but couldn't quite get to, to, to the above 90 level. All we had him do, and he was squeezing about 60, 65. We bought him these TheraBend exercise balls. Mm-hmm. On top of all the working out he's doing it, and all it does is... Whenever he's bored, he just squeezes the balls. Tim Dillard told us about these in a dugout, okay? So we bought them. He said, yeah, he has them in his car. He has them in his bag. He uses them all the time. All of a sudden, he just started squeezing it. In a month and a half later, he broke 90 exit velo, right? Because we know if that's what the pros can do, then he has to be able to do that. So that helped us chart that grip strength was an important factor in terms of getting him there. I love it. Reverse engineer everything. I love it. Reverse engineer. Beautiful. All right, first game. You ready? Mm-hmm. Truth and dare. Which one do you okay. like? Okay. It's truth and dare. Which one do you like? Truth. All right, truth. So what has been one of the biggest things that's been holding you back in your success, whether it's working with companies, customer experience, or just business in general? Depends on how you define success. So my brother and I have had ample opportunities to have way, way, way more financial success than we've had now. First time somebody wanted to acquire our agency, we turned them down because the relationships we had with our staff, making sure they were taken care of was way more important. Probably a little bit of a factor of not having the time to do a lot of other businesses has been I've been focused very much on making sure my son is ready for his high school ball and and being around and present for my family. So for me, I'm very successful because I have the ability to have that time to spend with him and not worry about the financial resources. But certainly I could have invested, you know, if I didn't have to worry about that, into creating a more successful business. Very good. Fair enough. All right. So you ready for your dare? Ready for it. Okay. This is a old-fashioned sing-off we do at the stadium, Brian. If you, your son, your family come to the game, we'll have 4,000 people sing off against each other. 2,000 in one grandstand, 2,000 in another grandstand. When the song stops, you have to finish that song lyric. All right? This song Uh is fitting. Wait, wait. Can I... I wish my wife was here because she's the one who remembers all the lyrics. I'm awful with lyrics. I'm going to trust you. It's a popular song from like the 80s, and it fits our theme here of always being there for the customers. Okay, I'll keep, keep my, my fingers, fingers crossed. Here we go. You ready? When it stops, finish it. Here we go. I just want to tell you how I'm feeling. Gotta make you understand. Never going to give you up. I don't remember the rest of it. Yeah, I'm, I told you I'm awful with You with nailed letters. it. That was it. Never going to give you up. Never going to let you get down. You down. That's a little yeah, bit okay. for Here. you. All Not right. too bad. No, you nailed it. You nailed it. All right. I'm staying with that theme because I feel like Amazon and these companies you work with will never let their customers go. They're going to keep going. They're never going to let them down. I'll give you an eight on that because you got the lyrics, but it wasn't a full song, Brian. So we'll keep moving from there. If I wasn't coughing like crazy, maybe I'd break down the lyric, but probably not. I want to jump. We talked about earlier word of mouth techniques, because again, if you're there for your customers, you got to there doing the marketing. It's funny. Amazon, you don't think too much about the advertising they're doing, even though there's some out there. You just think everyone's saying, I go to Amazon. I go to Amazon. So word of mouth is everything. Give us some of the techniques. So there are three main factors behind word of mouth. It is structural. 
something the way it's built or designed that makes you talk about it, okay? Kind of like if someone gives you directions and they say, hey, you know that big barn over there with the bright yellow painting? That's where you're going to want to make that left turn. So something along that. And, of course, you know, we've seen that when the first time we saw – hold on. I think I had one here, actually. Hold on. <laughs> An iPhone. The first iPad pod, right? When it was a touch screen, all that. Mm -hmm. Like those things made people talk just because of the way it was designed, how sleek it looked and all of that. Mm -hmm. The second one is kinetic. This is something that you've obviously become a master at. It's, just, it's the movement. It's the energy of things going on. It's the show that you're doing. It's the it's sing-off that you're creating. You're just creating an environment that people have to talk about it. Kind of like Pike's Fish Market, yes. right? People throwing fish. You're going to talk about it. The third one is generosity, okay? And generosity is just it is. You know, you go into a restaurant and they put fresh bread right away for you or they give you a free dessert to try or something like that. Those kind of things just make you stand out. The concept of lanyap. Right, from the old Cajun thing, just giving you that little extra that, that Baker's dozen, right, the 13 instead of 12. And the last one is tribal, right? It's a connection to like-minded team or an affiliation. It's very easy for people to talk about their favorite player or their favorite teams, and they just bond immediately to it. So anytime you can create any kind of tribe like that, you can also get people looking for people similar to them in their tribe. That's, that's what social media has been built on, essentially. Lately, it looks like the anti-tribe lately, but that's a whole different story. So to go back, you got design, energy, generosity, and tribal? Correct. Okay. Either an Amazon example or an example of a company you work with that really dominates in this game. So let's start it here. In Be Like Amazon, there's a chapter that we talk about, Chapel Dulcinea. And the first building that my mentor and good friend Roy William, co-author of the book, built on the 31-acre campus in Hill Country in Austin, he built a free wedding chapel. There are a 1,000 weddings a year. People come from Tokyo, Germany, I mean, all over the world to have their wedding done because of this beautiful chapel that they built there. It's now in Bridal Magazine. It's been listed as one of the top 10 spots. I mean, it's just a sheer marvel. And they built it not for anything else but to give back because of their value of commitment. Roy met his high school sweetheart, and they've been married forever. And it's just a beautiful sentiment of what they've done and what he believes in. And they just have this free space. And then they have a little area that you can go ahead and hold a little party if you want to. There's nothing to it. There's a place for the bride to get dressed and the groom to get dressed. Now, it did end up turning into a business for them because people kept asking for more things. And so it's turned into a business where they have a, a hall where people can rent out for parties and stuff like that. But it all started because they just wanted to be generous and offer a place for people to, who couldn't afford to get married in a great location to have a free great location to get married in Chapel Dulcinea. I don't think you get a better example generosity. I mean, that's about as big as you go. You know, you I know, built the whole it, chapel. It makes me think if you have a brick and mortar retail space, you have some of what is something that you can offer that won't hurt your core business. I mean, we have a stadium here and, you know, thinking like what could people do that we can say not during our games? Well, those are all sold out, but an opportunity to come out. I think that's a nice touch. It's, it's really. So I'm, I'm going to tie that into you beautifully because yeah. coming back to Dr. Matt Delgado. So we talked about his belief statements, but he realized that the tribe of, of his customers was young athletes, trainers, and all of that. And so when we were talking, he said, you know, he built this, and when you go to Instagram or his website, you can see this new space, beautiful mural on the side painted in there, great open area where people can come in. And so what he realized is his success has been completely due to the community. 
So, so what can we do to open up that space for the community? So they've had health talks. They've had meet and greets where people can come in and just chat and stuff like that. They've also did, done community yoga events. So they're using that space when he's not using it. There's a business networking event that happens in that space because it's not his space, right? It's the community's space when you start thinking about that. Well, and of course, people are sharing that. It also doesn't hurt that he's got big pictures of him and his partner on their windows, one of the busiest streets in Austin, with little speech bubbles on there also talking. So another way to trigger word of mouth and be outstanding. But I would give you a great story that ties into what you're doing. So about four years ago, when I drove back from Brooklyn after my mom passed to bring her car back with my son, Sammy, I wanted to make sure that if he was going to come with me, it was a difficult trip for obvious reasons, that how can I turn it into something positive for him, right? We were going to do this long drive back from New York to Austin, Texas. And so we're going to make it a baseball trip. So we went ahead and we went to Yankee Stadium and we went to Phillies and we went to Kansas City and, and St. Louis. But in St. Louis, my friend Pete Cranick introduced me to the CMO of the St. Louis Cardinals. And of course, he gave us field access passes and he gave us access passes to the lounge, which was great because it was like 140 degrees that day. So being in the lounge was a wonderful thing. But he started talking to us about the Cardinal way, about how they have all the high school teams who come and play there. And once you play in, in that kind of environment, you become a lifelong fan. Mm. And so it's the same kind of thing. It's like, you know what? What kind of weddings can you do? I mean, my friend Dave Kirpin, I don't know if you know Dave. They got married at the stadium of the Brooklyn Cyclones because he's such a Mets fan. Okay. So there's all kinds of opportunities. What if you held certain Little League tournaments yeah. at the stadium? Right. Or Sandlot games. Take it to the next extreme. Yeah. See, Sandlot games. See, that's what I'm thinking about. Just opening it up and creating it where just kids can come out and play and feel a part of it. It's very interesting. My staff's probably if they're listening like, oh, geez, Jesse, what's happening now? But I think there's a huge level in the generosity. I think that's really everyone thinks, how can I make money? How can I make money? Well, how can you give? And you're bringing them into your world. You're the guy. What do you think they're telling? I went and I played at Grayson Stadium today. That's what they're telling exactly. everyone. And the video that they take of it and the yeah. pictures that they take of it. The home and, 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 yeah, you know, could you have one kitchen open to serve concessions? Maybe. But I think what I would challenge anybody who's listening, obviously, we have a stadium. But what are those things that are behind the scenes that are cool about your business that you can show them? I think that's an opportunity there to think about. Not everyone gets to see what you see. And what are those things that you can provide to make it fun? So I want to keep rolling here, Brian. I said you're great Twitter game. You are very strong on Twitter. A lot of retweets, a lot of shares. You're putting a lot of things out there. I want to do deets about the tweet. All right. So you wrote focus in on the metrics that matter to your customer. And it's a very simple piece. I think it was shared from a podcast yep. previously. But mostly, I'm guessing we have metrics that we focus on that aren't about our customer. Give us examples of that, because I think that's so fascinating. One of my favorite stories of all time. So my brother and I, my brother was sitting at a client's office in the Bay Area. They're a high-end jeweler, and we're talking, we're chatting, and he's trying to understand a little bit more about their business. And at one point, he starts talking about their lead generation efforts, right? People coming on the website and they contact them. They're interested in such and such watch. They're interested in such and such piece of jewelry, whatever it was. He asked them, so, well, how long does it take usually to get back to the customers? He said, well, we try to get back to them at least within the day. And my brother just files it because they're in the middle of other topics. So they're going through it. At some point, there's a break. And he decides to go on his phone and he goes to the Prime Now app and he orders a bunch of things and has it delivered in the middle of their meeting. They show up 30 minutes later, opens up a bag full of stuff, and he says to them, you know, your customers, they can get all of these things from their phone to their house in under a half an hour. 
You don't think they expect to be called back in less than half an hour? It's so simple. It's obvious and simple. So all we had them start focusing on is as an initial test is how many of your leads can you respond to in under half an hour? And also we broke it out afterwards once that was a success to under 10 minutes, I think it was under five minutes and under 30, right? With the new benchmarks. Huge success. Yeah. Counts for millions of dollars for in sales for them. And it just, that's what matters to the customer. Yes. They're on the website. They're looking at a couple websites. They contact you. They're going to contact three or four others. People get them on the phone right away. That time to response matters to them. The time to get into your bathroom matters to the ladies in your stadium. Mm -hmm. you know, if you're not measuring it, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. So when we do undercover fan, Brian, everyone on our staff goes undercover one night. Even myself, take the yellow yeah, tuxedo. I've seen, I've seen the videos. That's awesome. I love it. And so what we do when we go undercover, one of the things is we keep track of every line. We'll stand in line. We look at our phone. We check the time on how long it takes us. And the first games when we did this all-inclusive model, we had yeah. no idea to do it. It was like two plus hours to get food. I mean, we had no clue. We got better. Yeah. We got better. And so now our goal is everything to be under five minutes. So five minutes with 4,000 people is, is a challenge. That, that's what we're measuring. And I think you mentioned there's other experience checkpoints, like how long does it take to find your store hours on your website, the average time spent in checkout, you know, return of voicemail. What are these other, I mean, these experience checkpoints are so fascinating that every single company should have these. Share a little bit more about this because I think it's really- How long does it take to find a parking spot? Mm, yep. The funniest story, I'll never forget this. So when we moved to Austin, it'll be eight years in January. The first summer, we went back to New York to stay with my mom. She had a two-family house, so we stayed in the downstairs. My wife, myself, and our youngest kid, and the two oldest stayed with my mom. So it's about 10 o'clock at night. cool thing about New York is you can find any store open just about any hour. So my wife says, you know, I'm going to go to the supermarket now and get some things so the kids have some, some things they like for breakfast in the morning. So she goes to the supermarket. She drives around a lot, drives around a lot, can't find a single thing. Finally, she leaves the parking lot. There's a parking lot on the roof. She decides to go up there, finally find something. Okay. Does her shopping, gets back in here, buys all things, gets on the line, and it's a 45-minute line to check out. And she comes home and she realizes, you know, maybe I've already taken it for granted. But every single time we go to a store here in Austin, there's a gazillion parking spots because there's tons of room, right? So that, that's never an issue. And she goes ahead, and there's never more than, like, two or three people on a line ahead of her. Unless, of course, it's the Walmart, but that's a different story. <laughs> right. They're the ones with 100 cash registers, but only three people working. But, like, if you go to Whole Foods or local HEB, there's almost never a really big line. I mean, this week, maybe you'll find one. Yes. Okay? But for the most part, you know, this is where Thanksgiving week right now we're recording. But for the most part, there's never a line. Realize this, you know, one of the biggest things, especially coming from New York, and I know, you know you're also from the Northeast, is that... People think people from the Northeast are, like, not nice people. No, we're just as nice as the people in the South. It's just we're, unfortunately, scrambling to find more time because we're wasting it on so many other things. But it's not even just how long it takes you to find a spot. What does the parking lot look like? Yeah. Is it dirty? Is there broken things on there? Is there garbage on the floor? Right? When you start getting it not well lit, those are all checkpoints. When, when I go and I look at a business, it's one of the first things I'll notice is, what does that look like? What does the bathroom look like? Right? It tells me everything about their business. I think it's such a great starting point to do. I hate the word audit, but do literally audit of your experience, how long it takes. I mean, whether it's parking, whether it's waiting in a waiting room. I mean, people waiting in a waiting room is huge. Every little piece, I think that is absolutely huge. I love it. And I want to keep moving here. All right, Brian, we're going to keep yep, rolling. We're ready. All right. You talk about some of your favorite companies, and you mentioned a few offline, the, the LifeSpring Chiropractic and Torchy's Tacos. You mentioned- Torchy's. Uh, I want to know what makes these companies some of your favorites, because I love companies that are doing things differently. So 
you're going to have to make a trip to Austin one of these days because there's one location that's become the spot I take all the baseball coaches come to town to Torchies. Everybody just raves about it. And it's interesting. I saw the CEO on one of those finance shows recently. I didn't realize he had a name for the category. He calls it craft casual. Mm. So here's the problem. Every restaurant, how many restaurants have you seen in the last few years that have copied the Chipotle model? Oh, yeah. Tons. Right? Because they think that's innovative. Yeah. No. It was innovative when Chipotle did it. It's not innovative when you do it. It was innovative when Subway did it. Correct. <laughs> right? So, again, it's got to fit for the right model. What they do is every taco is interesting combinations of flavors. They're made for you fresh on the spot. They're not just ladling out the meat. They've got a secret menu. There's all kinds of things to it. It's like some of the names for these tacos. And hold on. I'm gonna, uh, the Independent, the Democrat, the Republic, the Dirty Sanchez. Uh, hold on. I'll give you a couple of others. By the way, your tagline, damn good tacos. Okay, ready? The Trailer Park, Brush Fire, the Tipsy Chick. Hold on. I'm going to read you what's in the Tipsy Chick just so you get a sense. It's marinated in grilled chicken breasts, spinach, grilled corn, green chilies, and cheddar cheese with chipotle sauce on a flour tortilla with a side of bacon, bourbon, marmalade. So they're unique and fun. Or I'll give you something that sounds super simple, but they've made it exceptional. Fried avocado. By the way, it's a great taco. Fried avocados, refried pinto beans, pico de gallo, lettuce and cheddar cheese with poblano sauce on a corn tortilla. And then, of course, you can get every taco trashy which means they put queso on it. And it started from a food truck. And now they've got locations all over Austin, they're, and they're, they're planning to, to grow out, out of here. Austin's been great at developing a whole bunch of these kinds of businesses over the last few years. So, But what they're doing, Brian, I just to go back to the listeners, they're making the ordering experience fun. By what you say, by what you order, by looking at it, it makes you, it gives you an excitement. Like, ooh, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. That name's fun. I'm going to say the Dirty Sanchez out loud. Like, like whatever it is. Exactly. It, and then they, they create the tribal elements by having the secret menu. All right. And then the secret menu. And then that's very similar. in and out Burger and their secret menu as well. Exactly. I exactly. Love I love it. I love it. That's great. All right. I want to go to flip the script here. All right, Brian? Okay. I'm scared now. All right. Now, you're now the host of Business Done Differently. You can ask me one question. When you first went to all you can eat was too long. What did you do to operationalize it? Everybody in place, what systems did you have to put in place in order to get it back down to five minutes? The first thing that we did is we got help. We're open that we don't know everything we're doing. We're not a food business. And I'll say that our food is good. It's not the best food in the world. But what we focus on being the best in the show, which we want to create the best show in all of sports. So we got help. We looked into a food consultant that's done huge stadiums, huge arenas, came in and he audited, watched. He's like, all right. And there was one subtle thing that he shared. He goes, if you just move the drinks in front, that'll make it a lot faster because people will fill their hands with drinks and then they won't just try to get three burgers, four dogs and to slow everything down. So we made one change there. And then we said, all right, we need to have more food prepared earlier. And we just started every day. We got better, better, better. So we, we got help. And then we just started testing, testing. When do we need to have food ready here? What's the system? How are we moving it? Where is it going? Can we have stanchions set up? Can we move, have another station out in front where the people first get in and they go to that? So we went from one big station to now four stations that they all can get food with stanchions and we are constantly guiding people. So we have people guiding, hey, there's an opening here, there's an opening here, there's an opening here because we have 4,000 people getting all inclusive every single night. So that's it. Like every night it's 4,000. So now it's five minutes. So the thing for us, it wasn't overnight. It was continual optimization, as you would say. with Amazon. Exactly. And now, and now we're still thinking, how can we get better, better? Because we want to make sure our food is perfectly warm at the right temperature when they're getting it. So we still got a ways to go. But I got a huge 
shout to our director of operations. He was an intern when he started, 22 years old, overseeing it, trying to figure it out. We got help one day, but then it was him. We had a little bit of outside help from a restaurant. Uh, it was great. And then John, Jonathan took it over. And now he's 26 years old. He's our director of operations and he runs it and give the opportunity for young people to be empowered to make decisions. And I think it was really cool to see. That is the number one flaw that you can see right away if a business is not customer centric. If I go to somebody and they can't make a decision to solve my problem, the organization is not customer centric. It's why 80% of executives believe they're customer centric, but only 8% of customers actually believe they are. Yes. It's a great statistic. It's so important. And I think every single person should never say, let me talk to my manager. That should never be a conversation. It's not in our vocabulary. Take care of Even if it costs us a little money, give them some extra food. Take care of them. It was now, our previous guest. Just fix it. Just fix it. Now, so I'm going to give you one more because I want to follow up on this. My friend Alan Stein shared a quote a while ago. It came from an Inc. Magazine study. And they asked executives what percentage of their employees could name the company's three top priorities. Now, I know how you do your meetings and all that. I've listened to a lot of your videos that your team could name your top priorities. No question. I have zero down on that. Yep. When Inc. asked all their executives, what percent of executives said, oh, my team could identify the top three priorities? They probably said something high. 70%? 64%. So when the researchers conducted the survey of the employees, what was the actual number? <laughs> Less than 10. 2%. <laughs> yeah. So... Let's look at this. We talked about beliefs. Yep. Actions express priorities and beliefs. Yes. You believe in a fan first. Your organization knows the things that you're working on every day because you're doing these meetings. Yeah. I love you as flipping the host. Tell us a little bit more about how you run those to make sure, because I think this is where so many organizations fall apart in being customer centric, is that the front end employees don't know what really matters to their bosses. 100%. Right? To the founders. And I think that's so critical. Well, we just had one last week. We do a state of the vision. Every single six months, we do a state of the vision with the big priorities, what's going on, and go through where we are and a complete update of it. And so for us, it's right now, vision: bring fans first to the world. And so we're very clear. We're doing that with our team, and we're doing it by teaching fans first with businesses all over the country so they can bring it to their organizations. So we have a full update of where we're on the team, the next future, and where are we with taking this with workshops, with speaking, with bringing to the companies here. And so constantly sharing that. And then in every staff chat we have weekly, we open with recognizing people for doing things that are fans first. And we have an email chain in Basecamp, actually a Basecamp channel, that's everything about fans first. So it's our fans first, best email chain ever. So every day, today there's been three or four, we recognize each other for doing things that are fans first and fans first moments. So it's talked about constantly and that's what's recognized. What are we fans first? And then we have a profit share every quarter and the biggest metric is fans first. And they rate themselves on a scale of one to five with five being they create an epic fans first story that's going to live in our company's culture and DNA for many years to a four, they did some amazing fans first moments that are going to be shared and they grade themselves and that's how they're rewarded everything so they're sharing they're sharing stories of how they're fans first oh everyone everyone has core beliefs but do you have stories that back up those beliefs which i love this because it reminds me of the example of everybody talks you know they want to have the customer experience of like a disney right yes and it is it's what customers are expecting today right they expect that level of customer service they expect the communications of, of a Zappos, they expect the speed and efficiency of an Amazon, they expect the seamlessness of an Uber, right? Mm-hmm. Five minutes is not Uber-like yet, Yes. right? You're working on trying to meet that expectation. But one of the things that Disney does and Rich Carlton is so well-known for is every single morning they share a story 
of how they serve their guests, how great women and great men serve their guests. And I think that's what you're telling people is we need as organizations to talk about how we're taking care of our customers. Because if we're not, we're not ever going to be truly customer-centric. Yeah, and talking about, yeah, Amazon, that's literally everything is their customer-obsessed. So you have to be that. For us, it's fans-obsessed. And then the second level we talk about, like we want, it's for us, it's not just B2B, B2C. We want to be F to F, fan to fan. We want our employees to be the biggest fans. We want our customers to be our biggest fans. We want to bond over being fans of doing the same thing and being on a movement to have fun and care for people more. And when you bring that together, you bond as a fan. I know you're probably Yankees or Mets and I'm Red Sox, so we won't get in there. But that's what it is. You bond when you're a fan of something. You can talk about it. You connect on it. And I think that's so important. Well, it's even more than that, right? Like, I think we should touch on how important this is to social media because even though I've never been to one of your games – Right. Just seeing the videos and seeing what you're sharing on Instagram, seeing what you you shared on YouTube. Both my son and I can't wait to come out and see what you guys are doing. Right. Because we know it's different. And look, you know, we're right near the Round Rock Express, right? The AAA affiliate of the Astros. And they really they do a great job. And they try to make sure that people meet full time employees on a regular basis. The leadership team there, we've met with many of them. My son Sam's had him on his Playball Kid podcast, both the GM and the president. And they're owned by the Ryans. Mm-hmm. And they do it for all the right reasons. And so the baseball there is really an exceptional environment. But sadly, like I said, it's not everywhere, right? And it's not in every business. And I think there's so much we can learn from each other. And I keep saying what's happening in baseball today, right? If you look at the professional level, what we're seeing with the Dodgers and the Astros and the Yankees is basically the same thing we've seen in retail with and business with Amazon, right? They've been quick to adopt and be perceptive about their customers, look at that data and find ways to continuously improve what they're doing. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, I'll finish up here, but is there anything else like, that we could take away? Obviously your book has done so well from Amazon today. Anything else that we can say, Hey, you know what? We can learn from them or learn from a company and create even more raving fans. You said it really well, even a few weeks ago, it's taking the ordinary, making it extraordinary, right? Find the little boring details. When you come to Austin, I'll make sure you visit with Dr. Matt. I'm going to have a great experience. If you've never had a chiropractor, Justin, he does them differently. But I want you to make sure that you go visit his bathroom. Tell me about his bathroom. Now, I'm not going to tell you about it. We're going to leave it out there. But the point is, it's about creating something different than you'd expect from the bathroom in a chiropractor's office. All right. Okay. All right. You got me wondering. All right. So we'll finish some rapid fire here to go here. Question time. If you want better answers in business, you got to ask better questions. You work with lots of different clients. What are some of the best questions you're asking them? This, this is a tough one. You know, it really varies by the, by the customer and by the client that we're working with. My brother and I tend to be known for working with a lot of very big businesses. You know, we, we work with companies like Google and, and HP and GE and NBC Universal. But we love working with the lemonade stands, right? We love working with the owner-operated companies, the people who, whose heart and souls and, and lives have been in the business. Why did they start their business? And there's so much about their belief system in there that they've probably forgotten why they actually set out to start their own business. Love it. Excellent. All right. Finish last ones here. Now that's what I call service. What's a great service experience you just had recently or something that stands out? You're like, wow. Oh, what was the best service experience I've had recently? I've got to think about this. Um, you know, I don't get out much during, uh, <laughs> during, the, during the last few months. Or even in the last year. This is a question so many people have difficulty answering because service isn't standing out as much as it should. Yeah, I mean, besides the ones I've already told you. Like, yeah. I mean, I can definitely give you a whole bunch of bad examples, <laughs> but it's really hard to come up with the ones that have been exceptional. I mean, I've had definitely a whole bunch of experiences with Prime now. Uh, you know, we, we order a lot from them. My groceries from them all the time. Oh, Trader Joe's is another great one. I think they do a fantastic job. I was in there shopping 
just a few weeks ago, this one out now, I remember. And one of my bags, cold bags, was broken. And the cashier just went, grabbed one off the shelf, ripped off the tags and said, here you go. Take care of you. They take care of me, man. Look, I mean, I spent $300 a week there. What's the bag going to cost me? <laughs> exactly. Nothing. Take care of it. Nothing. But I keep going back every single week because I know that they're taking care of me. If my strawberries went bad too early, they'll just give me another case this week. They gave me another case this week for free. I love it. Just take care of it. Right? Because in the long term, and, that, and I think this is the biggest problem business owner has, in the long term, that one box of strawberries, that one cold bag means nothing yeah. because I'm spending hundreds of dollars every single week for years and years and years and years. 100%. Long-term fans over short-term profits. That's what it's about. All right, final four. Quickly here, rapid fire. What's one thing that you've done to stand out in business and in life? Oh, well, one thing that I've done to stand out in business and life. When we first started in our industry, everybody was talking about traffic and eyeballs, and we were the only ones saying, no, we need to focus in on sales and conversions. And so there's nobody else talking about that when we first started in, in 1995 when we started clients. But by 1998, we started our first agency. And while everyone was doing SEO, what we called experience optimization, right? And conversion optimization. So yeah, we just chose what everyone else wasn't doing. I love it. So if you were to give advice to someone younger, let's say even go your son going into high school, when he leaves school, leaves college, potentially one piece of advice to stand out in either business and in life, what would you tell him? Be kind. You can never go wrong with kindness. I love it. Simplicity. Great. Final two here. What's the best advice you've ever received? It comes down to also one of my favorite quotes from my mentor, Roy Williams. The price of clarity is the risk of insult. Mm, so you have to be willing to just say it as it is. And even when people don't want to hear it, and it reminds me of a time my brother and I were at a client's office and we were talking about all the metrics they, they track and all these different things. And they come to us with a binder of all these things. And we started asking questions about well, what do you know about why they purchased these courses and why did they, they had no answers. And so my brother grabbed this big binder and he walked over to the corner of the room where the trash pile was and he just dropped it in. He said, all of this is worthless if you can't answer these questions. He was clear. He made the point. They changed their business from that point on what they measured because they understood that they didn't have the clarity that they did, even though they thought they were being metrics driven. I love it. I love it. All right. Final question here, Brad. How do you want to be remembered? How do I want to be remembered? Someone who's helped a lot of businesses and individuals become better. I mean, I wear the bracelet every single day. Be better today than you were yesterday. I love it's, it. It's been my motto for the last 25 plus years since I started in the optimization world. And it's something I've tried to teach my son uh, to have the same focus, right? Especially as an athlete. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday. It only matters what you're going to work hard to do today, right? And what are you going to do tomorrow? So just focus in on constantly being better. I love it. And often it comes down to how do you make people feel? And I'll tell you, you've done a great job, my friend. You've shared some great tools today. I'm glad we've connected. Like I said, started on Twitter, baseball, back and forth, and you gave some great wisdom today. So I appreciate you and thanks for being on the show. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thanks for listening to Business Done Differently, where we believe whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. And that standing out is the best way to grow your business. For more information about the guest and topics covered on this episode, visit findyouryellowtux.com or shoot me a note at jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out.